In the, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was light of mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The second scripture reading is from Colossians 1, verses 15 through 20. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is the body. And he is the beginning supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ, and through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. Good morning, everyone, on this first Sunday of Advent. I was thinking about this morning as we were singing that, uh, you know, here at Mount Joy Midnight Church and hopefully in most other churches, we hear a lot about Jesus. We heard it in our singing this morning and also in our prayers. Uh, We talk a lot about Jesus, about following Jesus, and appropriately, our focus in a lot of our sermons is on the New Testament because that's where we learn about the life and the story of Jesus. But I think especially at this time of year where we, um, we review the excitement and the amazement of Jesus' arrival here on earth, it's, it's important, it's helpful for us to remember that Jesus has a backstory, or that Jesus had a backstory. He didn't just come out of nowhere. He, he, uh, he didn't just burst on the scene with no, no previous expectation. His arrival had actually been anticipated for many, many centuries Uh, He came in a different way than people expected. He surprised them with his teaching. But they knew someone amazing had been promised, and they were looking forward to his coming, much in the way that we look forward to his second coming today. There was an, uh, an aura of anticipation then that we look back on in this season, but we're also reminded that we are also looking forward. We are also anticipating the second coming of the Lord Jesus. I think the main reason that people were surprised when he came the first time uh, surprised by who he was and what he did was that they, they thought they fully understood his backstory. They thought they fully understood what was coming. They were confident that God's special messenger would be really hard to miss they, because they thought he would come with a lot of fanfare. He would come with a lot of power and he would stand out in really easy, easy to see ways, hard to miss ways. But you know, as, as we think about Uh, In retrospect, with hindsight, we can look back and see that across the whole story that the Bible tells, God often picks the the unlikeliest people 
to work through, to be his messengers and his prophets. He often picked people who were overlooked in their time, people who thought they saw themselves as inadequate and people who were kind of unimportant in their time. And I think, you know, you've heard that before, and I think that um, we kind of know that's true in our heads, but I think in our heart of hearts, in our heart of hearts, we're not really convinced that the people who are unimportant or who seem insignificant in our time are probably the most likely people for God to work through. But it really is true. I mean, for example, think about David. Think about King David. David was the eighth of eight sons. I don't know if you know that, if you looked at the story recently, but he was number eight of eight sons. And he was considered so insignificant. He was so much overlooked, even, with his own in, even within his own family, that when the prophet Samuel came, uh, contacted his father, Jesse, and said, I want to come to your family, I want to come to your household, and I, and I want you to bring in all your sons because I have a special blessing for one of them. Did you know that David wasn't even included? It was all his seven older brothers who were there, and as Samuel kind of went down the line and he was kind of listening to God's prompting, he's like, no, not this one, no, not that one, no. And finally, he had to look at Jesse in the end and say, do you have any other sons? Because I'm not sensing that, that any of these are the ones that God sent me here for. And they're like, oh, yeah, well, there's David, but, you know, he's, he's out with the sheep. He's, and it was just incredible to me that he was so much overlooked that they didn't even include him with the sons when, Je- when um, Samuel asked to meet with his sons. And yet David, if you know the story of the Bible, David became uh, central to God's plan for his time and for all future generations. David is a key figure in the story of the Bible. Or think about Ruth, David's great-grandmother, Ruth. There's a whole book of the Bible around her. She was a foreigner in Israel. She was penniless, and she was a widow, all of which knocked her further down on the ladder of importance in her time. She was a foreigner, she was penniless, and a widow. And yet this woman, if you know the story, was a faithful woman of God. She was servant-hearted. She was a noble woman of character. And she's one of only four women who are mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus. She had a key role to play in the the coming of the Messiah. And you know, the same is true of Jesus in some ways. Jesus was born to poor parents. If you you read the story uh, in the New Testament about his parents, you know that they gave the offerings that were allowed for poor people. They chose the, uh, the doves instead of the, the lamb, because they, presumably because they couldn't afford it. His birth was also announced by the most unimportant people of his time, the shepherds, the most unimportant people. And he didn't really, he doesn't seem to have even really stood out in his, home t- his small town growing up. He grew up in Nazareth, which if you know the story was considered a backwater in his time. And when he, when he became, began his public ministry, the people of Nazareth were astonished and stunned by some of the things he started saying. And they ended up saying to each other, who is this guy? Who is this guy? Well, who does he think he is? Isn't he just, we know that he's just Joseph's son. He wasn't, I, I think he does, wasn't standing out like a superhero as he was growing up, doing incredible things. Because they didn't really even recognize him when he, was, uh, when he started his public ministry. So I think it's, it's good to pause there and just give you, a, I hope that's a word of encouragement to you this morning. If you're someone who feels inadequate or you feel unimportant or overlooked in your time, you might be just the person through whom God wants to work. You might be just the person through whom God wants to work because that's the kind of person he generally chooses. People who aren't seen as anything particularly special in their time. 
Well, as ordinary as he turned out to be, Jesus did fulfill a lot of of promises that were made in the centuries before his arrival. He fulfilled all kinds of hints and foreshadowings that weren't completely clear. People didn't understand how they were all going to fit together in the coming of the Messiah. I mean, we realize now in hindsight how some of those things fit together. And we realize that actually he was, um, he was anticipated from the very beginning of human history. In, in one of the letters that Paul wrote in the New Testament, one of his letters in the New Testament, Paul regularly mentions the mystery of Christ. You may have come across that phrase, the mystery of Christ. What he means is that he's talking about the identity of Jesus, the place of Jesus in human history. And he says, we didn't really understand what was coming. We didn't really understand what God was up to. But all the writers of the New Testament say, but now we do. Now we do. Once uh, looking back on the life and the death and the resurrection, especially the resurrection of Jesus, all of the pieces fit together. We understand exactly what he was doing. We are able to connect the dots that go all the way back to the beginning of God's story. It's not a mystery anymore. We feel like we've been given the key to understand human history and how God is working in human history. It turns out that God's purposes from the very beginning has been to restore his broken creation. God's creation was broken almost immediately after it came to be. And God's purpose from that, that moment has been to restore his broken creation through Jesus, through the life, through the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. And this resetting of creation to its original purpose and design will include the whole creation. He's going to restore all of creation, all the peoples on the earth, all of what has been created through Jesus, restoring proper relationships with him and with each other, all possible only because of Jesus. And the amazing good news is that everything that has been broken can be fixed, can and will be fixed in the power of the Lord Jesus and in the work that he did on the cross in dying there on the cross. All that has been broken can be repaired for you and for the whole world. This this month during Advent, we're calling our sermon series, Jesus in the Moment, because each of these Sundays, we want to look at Jesus from a different angle, from a different perspective in time. Today, we're looking at Jesus at creation. Next week, we'll focus on Jesus in history. We'll look at the the hints of Jesus coming in in Old Testament Israel. On the third Sunday, we'll look at Jesus in prophecy. Uh, what the prophets could see of Jesus, looking at what the prophets could see. And in week four, Jesus incarnate. The Sunday before Christmas, we'll look at the birth story and the elements of the story that link back to the Old Testament. And our hope in this sermon series is that you'll see how the story of Jesus runs through the scripture from, from the beginning until the present day. That Jesus, I hope you'll see that Jesus is the center around which, around whom the whole story of the Bible revolves. His life and his teachings are the pinnacle to which everything points. Everything that came before him was anticipating in some way, looking forward to him. Everything that comes after him looks back in celebration and amazement at who Jesus was. So today we're going to start with Jesus at creation. We're going to go back to the beginning of the story and connect some of the earliest dots. And to do that, I'm just going to look at three scriptures with you. Two briefly and then one at at more length. Um, The last one I'm going to leave with you as a focus of meditation and reflection in the week to come. The first two are from Genesis 1 and John 1. We heard just read just a moment ago from John 1, and I think that Genesis 1 is probably pretty familiar to you. 
Genesis 1 says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And then as Genesis 1 goes on, we have, the five, we have five days of creation. On the sixth day, God creates living creatures, including humankind. In verse 26, then God said, let us make humankind, make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. So in the very, book, in the very beginning of the book of Genesis, in uh, verse 2, we have, we, well, in verses 1 and 2, we have the mention of God and the Spirit of God. It doesn't really explain how those are the same or different. And in verse 26, we have this very interesting, um, interesting plural where it says, let us make mankind in our image without any particular explanation there either. And I think probably before Jesus came, most readers would have uh, looked at this and thought, well, this is probably the, God is talking to the beings who are around him, the angels or the spirits. There are other places in the Old Testament where it talks about the counsel of the Lord. And there are places where it, you know, it, it um, tells the story of God interacting with other people in the heavenly courts. But I think once Jesus has come, once in retrospect, not understanding who Jesus was, we look at this and we think, well, that's kind of interesting. Maybe a hint of the Trinity there, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, hinted at even in these very earliest verses. The, very be- the, the beginning of the book of Genesis is echoed directly in the beginning of the book of John that we heard from this morning, that we heard read this morning, where John refers to, he starts out in exactly the same way. In the beginning, he says, was the Word. He's talking about Jesus there. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. Connecting Jesus directly to creation, saying he was there before creation. And it says in verse 3, through him, all things were made. All of creation came to be through Jesus, and without him, nothing was made. So the book of John starts out by saying very clearly that Jesus is God connecting Jesus directly with the God who created the world. And then secondly, that Jesus was not just at creation, but that creation was accomplished through him, through him, and that he gives light and life to everything in the created order. So those are the first two passages, Genesis 1 and John 1. The third passage I want to focus on is in Colossians 1, the one that uh, Becky and Reagan read for us just a moment ago. And I just want to walk us through that um, because I, it's just an incredible passage, just six verses, but it's an incredible passage. It's packed with creation themes. It links Jesus to the creation of the world and to its restoration. His role in the creation of the world is part of Jesus' backstory, and you'll hear that clearly in this text. Verse 15, for example, verse 15 in Colossians 1 refers to the image of God, which we read about just a moment ago in Genesis 1. And it says, if you want to know what God is, it says that um, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. In other words, if you want to see what God is like, if you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. 
And that's, that's why we, you probably heard us talk about before, reading, we read Scripture through the Jesus lens. If we ever want to understand what Scripture means or uh, how the pieces fit together, we go to Jesus and say, how did Jesus explain this? How did Jesus understand this question? We read the Scripture through the Jesus lens because of what it says here. He's the visible image of the invisible God. You know, human beings were created in the image of God. Sin interfered with that. It, it marred, to some extent, the image of God in us. But Jesus puts the pieces back together. It's in following Jesus that the image of God is restored more and more within us. And 1 John 3 says, that in fact, that process will become complete when he returns because it says we will, we will be fully like him when he returns because we will see him as he really is. So the image of God is reflected in us, but ever more perfectly in Jesus. Verse 15 also says Jesus existed before anything was created. Jesus was eternal from, from time immemorial. Verse 15 also says in the New Living, it says, New Living Translation says, He is supreme over all creation, over everything we can see and everything we can't see. Jesus has been Lord from the very beginning of human history. If, you, if you're reading from the New International Version, verse 15 there says, He is the firstborn over all creation. It uses the word firstborn. That's the, the Greek text there literally uses the word firstborn there. Um, and some people, including Jehovah's Witnesses, use that to teach that Jesus was a created being and therefore not God. But that confuses two different meanings of the word firstborn. Yes, firstborn can mean, literally mean, the, the firstborn child, the oldest child. But it can also mean, uh, it also can be used as a title to refer to the honor or to the position of someone who is the oldest son in a family. There's a verse, for example, in Psalm 89 that says, I will appoint David to be my firstborn, the most exalted of the kings of the earth. But I told you just a moment ago that David was the youngest of eight brothers. So how could he be considered the firstborn? How would he be, why, why would he be called the firstborn? Well, it's because God says, I'm going to declare him to be my firstborn and also the exalted, the most exalted of all the kings of the earth. In other words, I'm going to give him this title of honor, and I'm also going to give him the responsibility that goes along with that. If you're familiar with Jewish tradition, you know that um, traditionally the oldest son inherits a double portion of the father's estate. And it's not just to make the older son wealthier richer than his brothers or anyone else in the family. It's because it comes with the responsibility to care for the whole clan. It means that the oldest son is charged with the responsibility of caring for everyone in the whole extended family. And so he's given a double portion. And the honor of succeeding his father, being considered the the new head of the family after his father passes on, the new head of the clan with full authority. And it's in that sense that Jesus is the firstborn over all creation. He's the one who's responsible for it, responsible to provide for it, the one who has full authority over all creation. Verse 16 goes on to say that God created everything through him. God created everything through him and for him. That's just a really incredible phrase if you stop and think about it. It echoes what we just read in John 1, it says all of, all of what was created was created through him. It, it says everything, not most things. Everything was created through him. Everything was brought into existence through Jesus, through the Son of God. And it says that twice in this same verse. Everything was created through him and for him. Not created for no reason, 
not created for you and not created for me, but for Jesus. That just stood out to me in a fresh way this week as I was reading this passage. But did you, under, did you realize that all of creation was created for Jesus, through him and for him? It means that you can't untangle Jesus from the created world, from the created order. You can't, full, uh, can't fully make sense of creation without Jesus because it was all created for him. Even the things that, were, that seem so powerful in our time. The, it refers here to the, um, in the in New International Version, it says, um, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. These things that seem so much, so all-consuming in their power in our time have been created through and for Jesus. Several years ago, there was a company in Brazil that uh, bought an expensive printing press from a company here in the United States. And after the printing press was shipped to Brazil, it was assembled and it didn't work. They put it together and they couldn't get it to work. So they, they called in their best technician to come in and fix the thing. But he came in and he worked at it and he couldn't, he couldn't fix it either. He couldn't get it to work. So eventually the company contacted the manufacturer in the United States and said, please send someone to make this machine work, to, to fix it so that it works for us. And the company here decided that uh, the best solution would be to send the person who had designed the press, who had cr- uh, designed it, engineered it, and uh, who, who had created the press. The problem was that when he arrived in Brazil, he seemed way too young. And the people on the other end looked at this guy and thought, how can this guy possibly know what to do here? And so they, they cabled back to the manufacturer and they said, this guy is too young. You're, the guy you sent is too young. Please send someone who's more experienced. And the reply that came back to them was, he made the machine. We're confident he can fix it. He made the machine. We're confident he can fix it. And I think we could say the same as we're thinking about Jesus and creation this morning. Everything we see and everything we can't see was made through him and for him. So we're confident he can fix it. We're confident of that. Verse 17 goes on to say, Jesus existed before anything else. That's repeated from verse 15. And there's also this really interesting phrasing in verse 17 where it says, he holds all creation together. Or in the New International, it says, in him all things hold together. So again, you can't untangle Jesus from the created order because it's in him that all things hold together. There's some way in which he's involved in the ongoing existence and ongoing reality of our worlds. There was once a tour group who was guided through an atomic laboratory, and their tour guide explained to them that all matter is made up of rapidly moving particles on a really tiny scale. In fact, all matter is primarily made up of strongly opposing forces and empty space. If you look inside of atoms, you know that they're made up of strongly opposing forces and empty space. And so the tour group asked their tour guide, what holds it all together? And she said, well, she acknowledged that there are many theories, but she said, we really don't know. We really don't know. Now, what I think what verse 17 is saying here is more of a theological statement. It's not necessarily a physics statement, but it's just interesting to think about that Jesus remains, I think the point is that Jesus remains crucially involved in the created world and that in some way it still depends on him. Just like he spoke it into existence, God spoke it into existence in the beginning, there is some way in which Jesus is still interactive, actively interacting with the creation. 
so that we can say, he holds all creation together. Verse 18 says, everything has its beginning in him. (coughs) Everything has its beginning in him, all creation, the church, everyone who is raised from the dead. In fact, he's first in everything. And the word firstborn shows up again here in verse 18, used in the same way. But the point, again, is his supremacy, that he is supreme over everything. So the New International there also says, he is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. And not only is he supreme over everything, but verse 19 says that all the fullness of God lives in Jesus. He's the exact representation of God. As it says in verse 15, he's the visible image of God, but all the fullness of God dwells in him. God was pleased to have his fullness dwell in the Lord Jesus. And verse 20, through Jesus, God has reconciled to himself the entire created world. So I hope you see as I walk through this that you just can't separate Jesus from the created order, from creation. Jesus has been part of our world from the moment of creation. Verse 20 says, God has made peace with the entire created order, everything in heaven and on earth, through the death, through the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. And as we said just a moment ago, it turns out that God's purpose from the beginning has been to restore or repair his broken creation through the person and the work of the Lord Jesus. Through Jesus, through his life, through his death, and through his resurrection. And the amazing good news is that Everything that's broken can and will be restored in the person and the power of the Lord Jesus. I'm going to end our sermon time today, our scripture reflection time, by reading through the text of Colossians 1 again for you. I'm going to invite you to maybe just close your eyes or however, whatever posture is helpful to you in terms of meditating or paying attention to letting it sink in. Now that we've looked at these verses pretty carefully, I want to just read them through as a set for you. And as you listen, I want you to pay attention to see if there's a word or a phrase that catches your attention in a fresh way this morning as I hear it read. And I actually want to invite you to repeat this exercise for on as many days as you can in the next week as a way of letting the truth of this passage settle deep into your heart and into your mind. Let this text fill you with amazement for Jesus. Let it deepen your understanding and your gratitude. And let it shape your thinking and your actions this week. So I'm going to read through it again for us here. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else and holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth 
by means of Christ's blood on the cross. Thank you, Carl. We are going to sing a song for you this morning that we haven't done in church before. Um, It's called Bells. If you know it, feel free to sing along. And if you don't and you pick it up during um, the song, feel free to, to chime in as well. We chose this song because the words that are repeated throughout of, throughout the song really spoke to us and were the ones that we wanted to leave you with this morning. And I'll just repeat them again for you here. Uh, peace on earth and goodwill to men.
you'd like someone to pray with you, I will be down here on your right-hand corner. Um, I would be happy to pray with you. Hot drinks are ready in the lobby. Uh, You can help yourself to, to them. And also the Next Steps classes begin at 1030. So we have a long time to visit again. Uh, So that's a good thing. Um, The classes for children through high school are if you go out the lobby and down the left-hand side. Adult classes are in the gym and down the right-hand wing. We have something new. As you're leaving the building, There, you'll see on the wall there's a little area where you can pick up these cards. And they say, be our guest. And they um, give some information on how to connect with our church and also the worship times. So you could take one or more of these and pass them out to people that you would like to invite and even maybe let them like give someone, give at a restaurant or lay it on your table after you leave. Um, And of course, give it to people that you know. So looking ahead this week, tomorrow evening, we will have our next ordinary prayers event here at church from six to seven and this is for anyone everyone's welcome it's going to be a special time Uh, this time an interaction prayer activities for children but again everyone's welcome six to seven here at church and then this coming saturday december 3rd women's ministries is organizing a christmas caroling time at paramount home senior living and if you don't know where that is, you can, you can always look that up. You can contact me or the church office. It's, only, it's in Maytown, and it's only three and a half miles from here, so it's not far at all. Um, residents love children. They probably love children more than they love the singing. Um, and we've had a couple men that have asked me if they can come, and they're, they're welcome to come. We'll let them come. So, yes, yeah, so it's 10 to 11. And it's Saturday morning. You don't have to RSVP, but it would be helpful. All you need to do, though, is show up at 10 a.m. And I will have the song sheets, so you don't need to bring anything. And our own Hillary Horse will be leading us, so I'm sure it'll be a fun time. A reminder that the Christmas Eve service is um, coming up here um, soon. And... 5.30 and 7.30 are the times for the services. 5.30 is for the family family service, but anyone's welcome for that. It's not just for families, but it's geared more towards families. And then 7.30 is a traditional service. In between those two services will be refreshments and an orchestra. So that'll be, I'm sure that will be good as well. Christmas Day, there will be no service. And January 1st, New Year's Day, there will be a service, a worship service only, no next steps, at 10 a.m. So you get an extra hour to sleep in if you want. 